preaching from Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Since we have the uh, live stream on, I want to say again, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to preach, to speak the Word of God with you this morning. I don't take this lightly. It's not an opportunity I get very often. It's a joy and it's worshipful to me as I hope it is to you as we make our aim to see Christ in His Word and to take hold of Him today. So I want to start with a question this morning. I have a question uh, for us to think about and to ponder. Have you ever felt distracted with yourself? What I mean by that is, is have you felt preoccupied with all of your interests, all of the tasks, all of the work, all of the hobbies, the, maybe the blogs or the podcasts or the news, you name it? Do you feel like you have so much to do that you just can't do all of it? And the things that you really want to do, because you feel like you just don't have time, you can't even do the things that you really want to do, because in this digital age in which we live, everything is so available to us, literally at our fingertips. And I thought, as I think about technology, I always thought that technology was meant to free us up, to give us more time. But honestly, I've never felt busier in all of my life. The more technology progresses, the more access that we have, the more things that are available to us. And if you're like me, you can easily fill up every second of every day with something. I'm preoccupied with myself, making much of myself, making much of other people, making much of other things. As we see our landscape today, politics fill our pages of our newspapers, the primetime slot on our, on our news stations, our, our TV channels, our Twitter feeds, viruses and pandemics fill the mental landscape of our, distru- our, our disrupted daily life rhythms. Materialism and online shopping has just skyrocketed. And all the while, we're entertaining ourselves to death with things like Netflix and Hulu and, and Prime. And technology grows and expands and it fills our palms, it fills our pockets, and it fills our vision. Distracted. Distracted with ourselves. And we miss the very person that is most precious, most valuable, most glorious in all of time and space and reality. We miss the Lord of the universe, the glorious one, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our distraction. Because of our preoccupation. I don't think that we're the only ones in history that have been tempted to be distracted. We're not the only Christians who have, who have felt the tension and the struggle of distraction and pull of valuing other things. You see, I think Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, and it appears to me that they too were having difficulty of making much of Christ. And instead of, they were being tempted to make much of themselves or of other things. It seems that they were being tempted to place more worth, and we'll read it here in a minute, on their heritage, on their Jewish rituals, on their customs, particularly of circumcision rather than valuing Christ and pressing in to know Him. 
These weren't just young, immature believers either. We might think, well, they were, they were young. It was a new church. Now, this is a church that's, that's been 12 to, to 10 to 12 years old at this point. Paul, if you remember in Acts 16, he goes to Philippi, and he goes to those riverbanks, and he preaches the gospel, and God opens the heart of Lydia to believe, and her and her whole household are saved. And then sometime later, I don't know when exactly, but Paul goes to prison, and him and Silas are singing in prison, and God does a miracle there. And the Philippian jailer comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And we see, again, a miracle of God, and the Philippian jailer and all of his household are saved and are baptized. Boom, a church in Philippi. And 10 to 12 years later, Paul is writing back, from house arrest in Rome, and he's writing to these believers, and he wants to warn them of the dangers of being distracted. And he wants to remind them of the glorious and surpassing worth of their Savior, Jesus Christ, in comparison to all the knockoffs that are out there. You see, it doesn't matter how long we've been walking with Christ. It doesn't matter how mature you are or how wise you think you are you are prone to distraction. You are prone to placing value on lesser things or making much of ourselves or of other people, of other things, more than making much of knowing Christ and being found in Him. So our question this morning is this, how do we make much of Christ in a distracted digital age? How do we make much of Christ in a distracted digital age? Well, I think Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the answer right here in Philippians chapter 3. An answer that is all the more pertinent for us in our distracted age, and in particular in a season of pandemania, of quarantining, and of isolation. We can easily be given to distraction. So let's go to God and our Savior for help in our time of need. Let's, let's go to His Word. Let's read Philippians chapter Three, I'm going to actually read just 17 to 16 together this morning. Let's see what God has for us there today. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together before we dive in and start opening up this text. Father, this morning, Lord, I want to stand in Christ, filled with your Spirit, 
that you would fill all of us with your spirit to hear and receive your word. Help us to see Jesus more glorious. Lord, I wish in every way that I could be taken out of the way. Lord, may your word be prominent. May your spirit be at work. May Christ be exalted in the preaching of his word. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's, here's what I think the main idea is as I look at this text, as I look at the whole of this chapter even. The main idea in the solution to what I believe Paul gives us to fight distraction and preoccupation with ourselves. Here it is, main idea. It's really simple. How do we make much of Christ in a distracted age is this, is we, we press in to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. We press in to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Because making much of Christ is not just going to happen one day. Making much of Christ happens when we pursue Him. We must press into knowing His worth, knowing the worth of Jesus, growing in our affections for Him, our love and treasuring of Christ. It doesn't just happen. We must press into the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And I think as I look at the text, there are, there are four sections or four encouragements that Paul has to the church at Philippi, and there are four points that we're going to consider today. Because of time, I'm going to only press into to two of them. I'll mention all four of them, but I'll press in more deeply to two of them that are central to the text. So for those of you that like to take notes, I'll give them to you up front so that you can have those points, and this will be the structure of our, of our sermon this morning. Is one, be aware of your distractions. Verses 1 through 3, be aware of your distractions. Verses 4 through 11, see Jesus as your treasure. See Jesus as your treasure. Verses 12 through 16, make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. Make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. And the last point will be verses 17 to even into chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is enough even for us in our day. Jesus is enough even for us in our day. So let's, let's pursue Christ in his word in this text together. First thing, be aware of your distractions. You know, in, in counseling, they say that being aware of, of your struggles or your problem is half the battle. I, I really do believe that to be true because, you know, it's, it's, it's darn near impossible to correct a problem if you don't know what it is. If you don't know where the issue lies, you can't really find a solution for it. Paul seems to want to point here in this text, in the beginning, in 1 through 3, to the problem. He wants to draw their attention to the problem. Look with me at verse 1. Paul says, To write these same things to you is no problem to me, and it is safe for you. The statement sounds really funny to us because we think about responding, how, how he's responding here, and how we often respond, we have to repeat ourselves. If we're repeating ourselves to our children over and over again, what typically happens? We get frustrated or we get annoyed with them because we have to say those same things again and again. But, but Paul doesn't seem to be frustrated at all. And he says, in fact, it's no trouble at all. Why? Because he is saying something or he's about to say something that's essential. It's primary and it's central to the life of maturing believers, as he's already made mention at the end of this passage. So this is so critical that he literally bookends this section with warnings. So as we look at the frames here, verse 2, 
In verse 18, it seems like he's circling back around to frame up what he's saying with warnings. He seems to be bringing the attention of the church at Philippi to the the problem first. He wants them to see starting and ending with some hard words. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. See, apparently, here in this time, there were a group of people who likely called themselves Christians, who made much of themselves, their, their Jewish customs, and, their particular, and particularly the circumcision. And it appears from Paul's words in verse 3 that these people were putting confidence in their flesh, in the things that they had done. And Paul says, in contrast to them, to encourage them, verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit and glory in Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. It appears like they themselves are putting value on their works, on rituals, on customs, and bringing attention to these things, and trying to get the church at at Philippi to convince them that they need to practice these customs and these rites, and put security in the flesh, to be saved, or to be right with God. Paul brings these things to their attention because it seems to me that he's saying, don't be deceived. These are distractions from what is most valuable, from what deserves, demands our attention. We must be aware of our distractions. What is the world or your flesh or the devil tempting you with today? What is it that pulls your heart away from knowing Christ and His surpassing worth? What is that in your life? Think right now. What are those things? Identify them. Be aware. Here's an illustration It's to help push the point here. It's not a real story, so I don't want it to shock you in too bad of a way. But imagine, because we've all seen this. We, you can think of this and we can imagine this. So, there was a, imagine a girl who's walking to work, looking at her phone. She's on FaceTime, and she's talking with one of her friends, and she's walking down the street, and there's just a river of people just swarming around her, but she's so focused into her phone that nothing else really matters in the world in which she's in. She's so l- devoted or, or, or consumed by this, by this phone that she's on her way to work, but that's not the major concern. And pretty soon she finds herself in the middle of a road in which cars are swarming either side. And by the time she realizes where she is, being preoccupied with herself, with her phone, she strolls right into danger. By the time she realizes it, it's too late. A bus hits her. She's dead. Our distractions... And our preoccupation with ourselves, Paul says, will lead us to destruction. Will lead us to hell if we are not careful. Paul says in verse 18 and 19, the other bookend of this warning. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. These were people who were likely ministers of the gospel alongside of Paul at some point. These are people who likely shared 
the gospel with him, studied their Bibles with him, went to church with him. And now what does Paul say in verse 19? He says in tears, their end is destruction. With their minds set on earthly things. This ought to shock us, stir us, scare us. Be aware of your distractions. For they will lead us to destruction. You know, I wonder if our phones, for all the information that we have accessible to us in the palm of our hands, is more often taking us away from Christ than towards Him. Or pornography has captured the hearts of millions of men and women, even men and women who claim the name of Christ in our world today. Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, with our bottomless desire for more information or for gossip or for entertainment, preoccupies more of our mental capacity on a weekly basis than the time we often spend in the Word and in prayer. Be honest with yourselves. It's true. Being distracted is setting your mind on earthly things. Ball games and movies, traveling and business, we're preoccupied with ourselves and we're leading ourselves to the slaughterhouse. And we don't know it. Why are we so distracted? Honestly, I, I think it's because we put more value on being in the know or looking like the smartest guy in the room or being the funniest girl in the class because we want happiness more than we want holiness. We're pursuing pleasure more than we're pursuing the Prince of Peace because we don't see the worth of Jesus Christ. We don't see Him as our treasure so the question here then is, how do we take captive our wayward thinking? How do we value again that which is most valuable in our distracted age? Well, first, again, Paul says, beware of your distractions. Number two, our second point, see Jesus as your treasure. See Jesus as your treasure. See that Jesus is worth more than our happiness. He's more than our accolades and our prestige. He's more than our time. He's more than our passions. He's more than our money. We must believe this in order to value Him properly. Have you guys ever seen the shows like Antiques Roadshow or the American Pickers? And you get these guys who have studied these kinds of items. They understand what they're looking for and they go out searching or someone's bringing these very valuable, precious things to them. Well, imagine instead of these, these professionals valuing these products, if you just put some Joe Below in there, someone off the street. You brought him in and these people are bringing the, these valuable antiques to them and they're trying to, to, to assess the value of them, not knowing anything about the material, not knowing anything about the history, not knowing anything about the, the heritage or the artist. Can you, can you imagine what kind of value they would be attributing to these objects? It would likely just be based on their subjective feeling in that moment or if they liked it or not. They'd have no understanding of the value of those objects because we can't treasure what we don't know. Paul gives us in verse 4, go back to the text here with me. Paul gives us a worldly perspective to contrast the worth of all that he has in comparison to the worth of Christ. It's like he's a jeweler laying out this backdrop in which he's going to show the brilliance of a finely cut diamond. To see the value of an object, we have to contrast it with something else often. Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, he, he, he wants 
first to put this backdrop. It's like he's saying, if anyone has reason for boasting in his accomplishments and his degrees and his accolades and putting value on other things and being distracted with himself, he says, I have more. He continues. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. From a Jewish perspective and cultural perspective, Paul had every reason to make much of himself. For he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He, he kept the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous to fight heresy and to correct wrong. From the perspective of the culture, he was perfect. And he had much to boast in because he worked hard to accomplish these things. Every Jew, what they could have hoped for as a young boy, Paul became that. He accomplished it. He could say it and probably mean it. Been there, done that, got the trophy. And I bet his mama was probably proud of all that he did. But he has something shocking to say to a people who are putting their confidence in things of the flesh. And their ultimate treasure in other things besides God. What does he say in verse 7? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Did you catch what he said? Loss. Loss. All loss for the sake of Christ. Paul counts all these things as loss in comparison to the worth of knowing Jesus. Not just his religious accomplishments, the very things that his contemporaries would have praised him for. Not just these things, but he says everything. What does he mean by everything? Surely he doesn't really mean everything in his life. But we can only conclude by what he's saying, both his religious achievements and more. It's not just a little bit more, but he says everything more. He counts it as loss. It's like he's saying, you think my heritage is everything? Jesus is more. You think that my accolades and my degrees are everything? Jesus is more. And he counted as loss. Why? Because, he says, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Anything else is misplaced value. Anything else is an unworthy endeavor. Anything else is, is, is a real distraction for a wasted life. You see, the distractions of our digital age, they market themselves in such a way that they make you think that if you turn your eyes away just for a second, you're going to miss something that you've never seen before. You're going to miss out on something invaluable. The marketing scheme that plays to us in our TV and in the radio and in our, in our phones is saying, if you don't keep indulging at this pace, excuse me, you're going to miss something you've never seen because the media continues to promise high it high gains, high rewards, high value. But what does Paul say? Paul says, loss. Loss. He has counted everything as loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. If that's not enough, and he goes on to say here, he says, for, this, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Two things here I want you to notice. First, in verse 8, you might notice a change in his voice. He's, he's speaking of active, and then he moves to being passive. He says he, he counted all things as loss, and it changes to this passive, I have suffered the loss of all things. Not only has he willingly laid them down, but also in his pursuit of Jesus, they have been taken from him. He literally lost all things because of following Jesus. 
Paul has both actively and passively counted all things lost. He lost them in his pursuit of persecuting Christians on that road on Damascus that day. He was pursuing finding Christians to persecute. It's there he found Jesus. Or to better put it, Jesus found him. Listen to this. A Muslim friend of mine, or was a Muslim, now a brother in Christ, tells me of how he came to faith. He said he, he, be, he, he found the scriptures, and he began reading on his own, and he had so many questions. He knew of a, of a Western man that was in his city that was a Christian, and so he pursues this man and he begins to ask him questions about faith and about the Bible. And it wasn't long before the Spirit of God seized him so tightly that the truth of God, could, he could no longer doubt its validity he could no longer hold it in, that he believed on Jesus as his only hope for righteousness before God, and he couldn't keep it a secret. And it was not long before the local terrorist group found out about him and began making threats to him by phone. It was one night that he was eating with his mother-in-law in her house, and she came after him with a knife, and she said, return to Islam, or I will kill you. He literally had to jump out the window of that house to get away from her. Then whenever I met him, he had escaped his country, fled into a neighbor, neighboring country, had left his kids and his wife behind until he could smuggle them out safely. This man lost his job. He lost his honor. He lost his family. Why? Because he found Jesus. His word's not mine. He says this, Jesus is worth it. I will never deny my Savior. Brothers and sisters, Our friend, our brother in Christ here, saw Jesus as his treasure. And he saw saw him as worth more than all that he possessed. Willing to lose it all for Christ's sake. You see, in the gospel, when we believe on Jesus, we become one with him. Because of his precious purifying blood and through the sacrifice of himself, he has brought us in by faith, into communion with, with God, the creator, into the family of God. We're adopted. We are made heirs to the promises of God in Christ. What we have in Christ, it pales in comparison to all that we could ever possess in this world. In fact, Paul says it, it stinks in comparison. Look at, look at the end of verse 8. Paul says it's rubbish. He says it's trash, it's human waste in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gospel is a precious gem, and we lose sight of it. Our eyes grow dim, our ears grow deaf to it. Day to day, we are just not enthralled with Jesus in awe. But the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and he covered up. And in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, finding one pearl of great value, went and he sold all that he had to buy that one pearl. Friends, these are the responses of those who see the worth of Jesus Christ in comparison to all that they have. When we realize what we have in Christ, we do crazy stuff in the world's eyes. Crazy people sell what they have or pack up what they have and move across the country to go be mentored under godly men and women. Crazy people invest money in people and projects that will bring them zero earthly gain. Crazy people turn down high-paying jobs and, and take less honorable jobs so that they have more time to minister the gospel and to minister the word of God. Crazy 
to those who don't see the worth of Jesus Christ. Look at our text again, second part of verse 8. What is his aim in losing all things? This is Paul again speaking from his own life as an example to imitate, which is what he'll say later in verse 17. What's his purpose? He says, purpose statement, in order that, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Why does Paul count all things as lost and worthless? Well, he says it for the purpose of that I may. Again, you hear that refrain again and again in here. He says, gain Christ, be found in him, know him, share with him, attain him. What's Paul's aim? To make Christ his treasure. Paul wants to treasure Christ. He's saying, I want more of him. He has Christ and he wants more of Christ. He wants to know Jesus more. We see in verse 8 those passive and active words again as we did before. Remember first it was Paul counted it as loss, active, and he, he suffered the loss of all things, passive. Again we see here, Paul works to gain Christ, yet he has been found in Christ. He does it, but yet it is being done to him. Now I think it would be easy to, to look at Paul's words and to think of what he's saying here and to misplace the effort and the focus that Paul is giving to pursuing Christ. Paul, it's like he anticipates this in verse 9. It's like he's saying, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I'm not talking about that. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, this is very critical. Our righteousness and our acceptance before God, the holy judge of all the cosmos, is not based on our pursuit of Jesus. It's not based on our righteous achievements. It's not based on our abilities to clean up our outside, to look good before all onlookers. By no means. This is not the basis of our righteousness. Our acceptance and our acquittal of all the charges for every sin that we've ever committed in all time comes by, the, by faith in the completed, the accomplished, the fulfilled life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? We have been clothed, covered, secured by His righteousness. We have been restored to our creative purpose of God by Him, by Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Whatever, what we have been given is the unapproachable, thrice holy, more magnificent than our minds could ever see God because of Jesus Christ. He is the one, don't lose sight, He is the one that knits us to God. Because of his work, because of his person, not our efforts, not our works. This is what makes Jesus so valuable. This is what makes him so precious to us. Because Paul possesses Christ, he's willing to count all other things as garbage in comparison to knowing him. And now he pursues that which he has possessed by grace through faith with all energy, with all vigor, with every effort that he could possibly muster. Why? Because he wants to experience him more. He wants to know Him. He wants to see Him and feel the one who is worth it all. Brothers and sisters, when we see the worth of Jesus, you stop living family-centered lives, lives about every ball game, every practice, every school event, and you start showing your children where your real passion is. 
You start making Christ the center. You start living Christ-exalting lives. And children, this might feel like suffering to you if your parents take their focus off of you and put it on Jesus, but it's not. When you, too, see the value and the true worth of Jesus, you'll willingly lay aside your hopes and your dreams to be some big star, to go off and to be obscure in some land to share the gospel with people who have never heard of it before. When we see the gospel's true value, we willingly pour ourselves out for one another, to care for one another, to sharpen one another, to keep one another from sin, to push one another towards Jesus, to remind one another of this precious gospel in which we have believed so that He might become greater and we might become less. So how do we keep seeing Jesus as our treasure from day to day? We know that He's our treasure. How do we keep doing that? How do we keep our eyes from going dim to the glory of Him who saved us? This is Paul's third point here. Make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. Make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. First, we need to be aware of our distractions. Second, we need to see Jesus as our treasure. Third, we need to make Christ our lifelong endeavor because this is not a sprint. Walking with Christ is more like a marathon. It's not a flash in the pan, but we're talking about eternity with Christ. And Paul says in verse 12, go down to verse 12 with me and look. He says, and so I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, the English translation here doesn't really do this phrase justice because it's so much more ferocious and rich. This is beautiful here. The same words for press on are the same words that, that Paul used whenever he was talking about his accomplishments in the flesh in verse 6. If you remember, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He used the same word, which is translated to persecute. Also can mean press on, but it can also mean to hunt down. It can also mean to pursue with all haste. Paul says he presses on to do what in verse 12? He says to make it my own because Jesus made me his own. It was in his hunt, in his relentless pursuit of persecuting those who followed Jesus that he found Jesus, as I said, or better stated, Jesus found him because he was hunted by Jesus. Jesus overtook him and seized him with a tight hold and made him his own. Jesus made him his own. Translation, make it my own, sounds also very gentle. Make it my own. But how else could it be thought of? It's, imagine, it's, these, are, these, are, these are forceful words. It can also be translated, seize tightly, to take hold of, to overtake. These are ferocious words. Think of a cheetah for a second. On the plain of the savannah, chasing after a gazelle with all of his energy and all of his might, full speed to take a tight hold, to grab that gazelle and to never let it go. And again, do you see it here in verse 12? Those active and those passive forms. He was seized by Christ and he seeks to seize Christ. Verse 12 could be translated like this. He says, I press on, I hunt down, I persecute that I may seize a tight hold and overtake the one by which I was overtaken and seized with a tight hold. That is Christ Jesus. This is my overkill translation, okay? You can pick it up maybe at the bookstore next to the uh, doors on your way out this morning. But as we see Paul saying, 
He presses in. He pushes onward to take a tight hold of Jesus. We must make it our endeavor to treasure Christ in our digital age. It's more than, it's more than setting aside a quiet time each day. It's more than checking off your prayer list. It's more than giving money to the poor at Christmas. It's, it's more than coming to church each Sunday morning. Jesus is so much more. He's worth so much more. And He demands so much more of us. Look at verse 13 and 14. Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus isn't a side hustle, y'all. Jesus can't be your side hustle. Time with Him is not a block in your schedule. You can't just set aside a few moments of your day for the King of the universe. He is an endeavor of a lifetime. All of your resources, all of your energy, all of your skills, all of you must be put into this. You may feel like you can't do this. When you look at that bar, that bar is high. The cost is too great. And you're right. You're right. You can't. I can't. It's easier, Jesus says, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is why this last point is so critical. Jesus is enough even for us in our day. Jesus is enough. All you need to know, all you need to feel is your need of Him. He has the power to keep His own to the very end. Look at what Paul says in verse 20 and 21. Paul gives great hope for those who are, who are Christ Jesus's. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Amen? He will transform our lowly bodies. He will keep us until the very end. He says in John 6, all who the Father has given me will come to me. I will not lose any of them. Get this. The creator of all of the universe had all glory and honor and power willingly, willingly laid aside all of that, counting it all as loss for you and for the glory of God the Father. He took on flesh. He became a man. He experienced our pain and our suffering in this broken and sin-raped world, yet He lived perfectly obedient to the Father. Not one sin. Not only did He become a man, but He became a servant, coming not to be served as a king, the king in which He was, but as a slave to serve. And according to the will of His Father, He willingly suffered and even died for you, taking all of your sin and the deserved punishment that you deserve for your rebellion on himself as the innocent lamb of God, bearing the curse. He took the death sentence that, that you deserved, and he willingly poured out his life 
for the glory of God the Father to fulfill the purposes of God in you. But that's not all. In power, He rose from the dead, defeating death, extinguishing Satan, removing the power of sin, and therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. By faith, you can receive this life, yours for His. So that when the Father looks at you, He no longer sees a child of wrath, but He sees a justified, adopted, and redeemed child of God. He does not, he, he, and He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't, there's more. He doesn't leave us as orphans, but He gives us His Spirit. Jesus said it was better for Him not to remain Jesus beside us, but Jesus within us. And He gave us His Spirit to guide us, to convict us, to lead us into all truth. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ's return. So I exhort you today, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to the fountain and buy without money and without cost. This is the gift of God. If you have put your hope or your joy or set your sights on anything other than this gospel in which I proclaim to you today, you've been deceived. You're distracted. You're preoccupied with other things. Anything other than this gospel might promise high, but it won't deliver. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Repent and turn away from your way and believe on Him. Cling to Him. Seize Him. Press into the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, your Lord. He will take a tight hold of you. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Jesus Christ. Make Him our treasure. Make Him our joy. Lord, restore in us, like David cried out, restore in us the joy of Your salvation. Help us to see Him as the King who is worth it all. May we make Him our aim. That we would press into knowing Him all of our days. From now until eternity. It's in His name we pray. Amen.